I was a kid, uh, about 12, 13, 14 years old, I had a newspaper route. Six days a week, I delivered newspapers to about 200 or so different homes in the neighborhood. It was a commitment for a kid my age, for any kid that age, I guess. But I knew that every afternoon around 3 o'clock, a truck was going to pull up in front of the house and drop off bundles of newspapers. I would gather them up and typically roll them up and put them in my side bags. I had big bags that went on both sides of me. Sometimes on Wednesdays when they had all of those extra ads in the papers and it was really, really thick, I had to have three bags and I would have a bag in the back and one on this side and one on this side. And I'd get them all tied up and if it was raining or snowing, I would have to put them all in plastic bags and tie them up so they would stay dry. And then I would set about the task of delivering all of those newspapers. It was typically about a two hour job. Sometimes depending on the weather, it could be as many as three hours. And on those days, I was just like the mailman. You know, I mean, neither rain nor snow nor sleet nor hail nor anything else was going to keep me from delivering those newspapers because I knew that people depended on it. The weather didn't matter. How I felt didn't matter. What other things I would rather be doing, like playing with my friends about that time every day, that didn't matter. But what did matter was that each day I delivered those newspapers because people expected to get that paper at their house. I had some wonderful customers. I had some really incredible customers. But of course, as you would expect, there were always a few difficult ones peppered in every now and again too. And there were some people who just were never, ever, ever going to be satisfied. Uh, Mr. Rodas was one of those. He often wasn't home when I dropped off his newspaper. His wife was always there, but Mr. Rodas wasn't always there. But when he was, you could pretty much count on getting some sort of a complaint from him. If the paper was just the tiniest bit damp, he'd swear it was completely soaked and unreadable. If it arrived more than a handful of minutes late, he promised me that he was going to call my boss and tell them that I was a lazy, no good delivery boy. He always threatened not to pay for his subscription, which was a big deal because that meant me, like all the other newspaper delivery boys, that meant if a customer didn't pay, I was responsible for paying for that subscription. It came out of my pocket. But I always knew that Mr. Rodas's threats were empty, and that's because Mrs. Rodas, she always paid the bill, and more often than not, she would add a little something extra in there and she'd say, this is for putting up with him. I liked Mrs. Rodas. I don't know how old Mr. Griggs was, but I knew that he was way, way up there in years. When I was as young as I was, I thought Mr. Griggs was probably 100 or 200 years old. That's the way it seemed to me. But I also knew that Mr. Griggs had a very, very, very long driveway. Now, my newspaper route was outside the city limits. That meant it was considered a rural route, and that meant that all I had to do was put newspapers in mailboxes or in one of those newspaper boxes next to the mailbox if, they, if someone had one. But getting to the mailbox was not easy for Mr. Griggs. He had that really long driveway, and he was way up in years. So every day, 
I always made the extra effort to ride my bike or walk all the way up that really long driveway to Mr. Griggs' back door, and then I would open the storm door and put his newspaper just inside the storm door. He wouldn't even have to leave the house to get to his newspaper. He was a kind old man, just a wonderful old man. And every now and again, he would see me coming up the drive and he would meet me around back. And sometimes he would have a glass of cold water or lemonade. I loved, loved, loved Mr. Griggs for several reasons. That, of course, and the fact that he always smelled like bacon. Something about Mr. Griggs always smelled like bacon. One of my favorite people on the route was Mrs. Desarn. I was a kid, I was a little guy, and I still felt tall standing next to Mrs. Desarn. It seemed like Mr. Griggs, too, it seemed like Mrs. Desarn was at least 100 years old. She was a retired school teacher, and he, she was often called in to substitute at my school when I was a kid. And when my classmates and I walked into the classroom and we saw Mrs. Desarn sitting in there, we got all giddy. Not because our regular teacher wasn't there, but because Mrs. Desarn was there. There was something about Mrs. Desarn. As tiny as she was, she never lost control of the room. For whatever reason, all us kids had a lot of respect for her. I think probably part of the reason was because she always carried around this really big book of great stories, the best stories I'd ever heard. There was something about the stories in that book. And she'd always tell us at the beginning of class when we would go in and we would get our seats, she would say, now look, if you pay attention and if we get our work done early enough, then I'll read you a story from the big book. We always paid attention. We always got our work done early. And then she would always read one of those fascinating stories from that book. I don't know if it was the stories or the way Mrs. Desarn would tell them. The truth is, I don't even know if she was reading stories from that book. She may have been making them up as she went along. I'll never forget the first time I was in class with Mrs. Desarn. She was calling the roll and she got to me and she said, Kenneth Bishop! People called me Kenneth back then. It wasn't until I was in middle school, actually, before people started calling me Kenny. My legal name was Kenneth, and I didn't know that we were allowed to be called anything other than our legal names when I was in elementary school, so everybody called me Kenneth. Anyway, Mrs. Desarn said, Kenneth Bishop, here, I said. She said, I had a Kenneth Bishop in my class many years ago. I never could get him to sit down and pay attention. Turns out, that was my dad. <laughs> I liked Mrs. Desarn. There was a lady on my route, on my newspaper route, who had a very heavy German accent, and boy, she just scared me into putty every time I was around her. She spoke very directly, and it came across as just being very curt and being very frank. I think it's probably because she didn't know a whole lot of English and she didn't know enough to make small talk. So she just spoke very, very directly. But every year, this woman who terrified me when I was around her, every year around Christmas time, she always gave me the best chocolate fudge I had ever, ever eaten in my life. I liked that German lady. I liked most of the people on my newspaper route. 
The overwhelming majority of them were completely unremarkable. There were families and older couples and some school teachers, a couple of policemen, a school bus driver, a preacher, lots of housewives, and lots of folks who worked in factories and some at the hospital and a lot of other common jobs. And I liked them all for the most part. I also liked Mr. Tibbs. I don't know what he did for a living, but it seemed like he was always home. He looked like he was probably in his late 50s, maybe early 60s, and he always had a really, really tight haircut, and he raised Dobermans in his backyard. He tried to give me one once, but Mom wouldn't let me have it. She said it would probably try to eat our rabbits, and I liked the rabbits too, so I didn't put up much of a fuss when she said I couldn't have the Doberman. Mr. Tibbs was always very, very nice to me. He never complained, and I'll never forget the fact that he offered me a Doberman. But I'll also never forget the day that I knocked on his door and delivered his paper to collect his monthly subscription. He answered the door, invited me in out of the cold while he grabbed his wallet. As I stepped in, I noticed the Confederate flag the pictures on the wall in sheets and hoods and the swastikas. The swastikas and the other KKK stuff that was lying around. I was a kid. I didn't know a lot about these things, but I knew enough to know that Mr. Tibbs wasn't who I thought he was. It seemed a lot longer than it probably was, but I remember when Mr. Tibbs came back into the room and he paid his subscription. He patted me on the head, thanked me for being a reliable paper boy. I turned around and I left. It wasn't till probably two or three houses up the street that I was delivering papers that I broke down and started to cry. I wanted to, I really, really wanted to. But I couldn't like Mr. Tibbs anymore. It's easy to like likable people. It's easy to like people who treat you well. It's easy to like people who don't disappoint you. It's easy to like people who don't give you a reason not to like them. We can back up just a minute to the scripture story that Pam read for us earlier. There's a whole lot that we can learn from Jesus' interaction with his disciples before, just before he was taken into custody. We recount a little bit of the story just about every Sunday morning when we gather around for communion. But the account that we read earlier today is from the 13th chapter of John. It says that Jesus knew he was soon to be crucified. But before the authorities would do that to him, the men and the people who had been close to him relied on him, esteemed him, trusted his leadership over the last three and a half or so years, believed his teachings and counted on his direction. Those same people would turn their backs on him. Some would even betray him. In that room that night, sitting at the table right next to Jesus were people with selfish agendas. Some of them had self-centered plans, egocentric schemes. Some of them were marching all along beside Jesus just so they could have a place next to Him in His kingdom when it arrives. And you know what? Jesus knew all about them. 
He knew about their schemes. He knew about their agendas. He knew about their plans. So what did he do about it? Not a thing. Not a thing. He didn't berate them. He didn't lecture them. He didn't call them out or accuse them of being hypocrites or cowards. He didn't even claim to be superior in any way. What he actually did, Jesus the Holy One declared himself not to be superior, but actually to be inferior. He washed their feet. Wow. Why? Why does Jesus keep doing this? Why does Jesus keep loving people who aren't really lovable and liking people who aren't really likable? Why would He wash the feet of someone who may actually just be using Him to get to the next level, the next place? Why would He love them so? Why would He like them so? Let's be honest, you and me. There are some people we love. There are some people we love who we don't like. There are people we can tolerate and say we love them in the Lord. I heard that all of my life growing up. Love them in the Lord, but we don't necessarily like them. It's kind of like, you know, Mark Lowry says sometimes, you know, I like you enough to have you over for a meal, but I wouldn't dare go on vacation with you. <laughs> Just wouldn't do it. So why does Jesus keep doing this? Wouldn't you just love to open your Bible sometime and just see Jesus really put people in their place? Now, He did it with the religious people. He did it with the hypocrites who claimed God in a superior way, who claimed to be better than everyone else. But with people like us, with people like us who sometimes would use God for our own agenda, what does He do? He stoops down, He bends down, He loosens the laces, and He so gently removes the shoe. He caresses the foot and He puts it in the basin. And he washes it. I've imagined it so many times, what it must have been like. Did He just ignore everything else in the room? Did He put it all aside and focus in on those feet? that belonged to that human that housed that heart and that spirit. The very same people that Jesus should have shut down at the very first sign of greed, the, the ones that should have been hit with a bolt of lightning, the first sign of trouble and danger, Jesus bows Himself to those people, commits the beautiful, most perfect act of love and he says, I like you enough to wash your feet. In simple terms, Jesus just likes them. Can I confess something to you? There are days and times that I don't like myself that much. I lose patience with myself. I get angry with myself. I'm often disappointed in myself. Sometimes I feel horribly ugly. There are days and times that I just don't like myself and I don't feel very likable and I can't imagine how anyone else could like me when I'm so unlikable. And sometimes in those moments I even wonder if no one else can like me, 
how can God like me? Now, I'll confess, it may be because I was brought up believing that God's love, as big and beautiful as it was, was also flaky and finicky. Maybe it's because I've been told in sermons and songs that I'm undeserving and, as one song put it, no more than a worm. Maybe it's because the faith that I knew as a child and a young adult was more dependent on my behavior and my estimation of myself than God's ability to love me through my unloveliness. It's one of the scars of being brought up in that type of environment. A few minutes ago during the children's moment, I want to thank you for indulging me by allowing me to share the video of Mr. Fred Rogers and Jeffrey Erlinger. Jeffrey was such a beautiful soul and what a beautiful, beautiful, tender moment it was. Jeffrey was only 10 years old when he stopped in for a visit to Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And just like he was to so many back then, Mr. Rogers was Jeff's television friend. Their 10-minute conversation back in 1981 was completely unscripted and natural because Fred Rogers wanted the moment to be authentic. And boy, was it. Right after his appearance on the show, someone asked Jeff how long it took them to record that 10-minute segment. 10 minutes, Jeff said. <laughs> That's not really the way television works these days. There's no doubt that Jeff had experienced a whole lot of love back home. His parents and his sister no doubt covered him in love. But as he grew up, he talked about days when he felt trapped. Times when he felt unlovable. He wondered if he was ever a burden and if there were people who said they liked him who didn't like him at all. He said it was often in times like that, even as a young man and an adult, that I would think back to the song that Fred Rogers and I sang that day. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your things, they're just beside you. But it's you I like, every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember even when you're feeling blue that it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you, it's you I like. Thanks for joining us for the Bluegrass United Church of Christ podcast. We'd love to have you join us for a service sometime. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 500 Don Anna Drive in Lexington, Kentucky. You can find us online at bluegrasschurch.org.